This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. Uh, this week is episode 572, and we welcome the ACGIH Executive Director, Frank Mortal, and their, their uh, Director of Science and Education, Phil Rauscher. And uh, we're looking forward to a great show, getting updated on what ACGIH is up to these days and uh, what we can look forward to here in the near future. But before we get started, let's thank our platinum sponsor. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And, of course, our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello, everyone. I'm sorry to report there was no correct answer to last week's trivia question, which was to identify the countries in which each of the three editors of the Green Book were born. The IQ radio trivia question for today, Friday, January 31st, 2020, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and and decontamination problems. Here's today's IQ Radio trivia question. In what year were ACGIH's first examinations held and certifications issued for comprehensive practice? Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. I also forgot that for, for some reason, Siri Cleaning Industry Research Institute was not on the uh, list of uh, association sponsors there. Make sure we point them out. So today's guests are Frank Mortal. <laughs> Frank is the executive director uh, responsible for, for providing guidance and support to the board of directors while leading ACGIH's team of professionals who are committed to serving a membership that strives to deliver critically important industrial hygiene knowledge along a wide spectrum of topics ranging from air sampling instruments, bioaerosols, biological exposure indices, industrial ventilation, and threshold limit values for chemical substances and physical agents. Phil Rauscher is their director of science and education. Phil is an industrial hygienist, uh, safety hygienist at the, the, he was at the state of Ohio, I have to get this clarified, Division of Safety and Hygiene. He works primarily in the field, but he's now working with ACGIH. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Howdy. To Great to have here. both of you. Hey, let's let's start with Phil real quick. I'd like you to clarify for me your position. I, I, I pulled up an old bio and I kind of messed it up there. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. So yeah, I was uh I was in the field up until July of last year. Um 
I, I did. I worked with the state of Ohio, and in that capacity, I was a generalist. Uh, you know, whatever, uh, whomever called us up, I would go out provide industrial hygiene support. Sometimes IAQ support, depending on the situation. I uh, was lucky enough to meet Frank whenever we were at the conference together, and uh, history took over from there. So now I'm here. And you're a CIH, a CSP, and you got your master's in public health. Looks like you're an Ohio guy, Youngstown. Was it Youngstown State, maybe? I went to Youngstown State for undergrad, and then I went over to the University of Toledo, right there on the border battle. Great. Good, good, good to have you, Phil. Let's, let's go back to Frank. Frank, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about ACGIH, so what I'd like to do is start with, first let me stop the acronyms, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. What, what, who is ACGIH? That's a great question, Joe, and it's, we do have a rather clunky name, although you know, it goes to show the show of ACGIH does resonate through this industry that I've been able uh, to be aware of here in my uh, near-term tenure, been on board uh, since February of last year, and ACGIH was and continues to be the point of contact for researchers, scientists, and academics to engage with a professional organization and, and to identify data particularly regarding threshold limit values for chemical substances and physical agents. And that is our bread and butter has been. But going forward, this organization, the board of directors, our volunteer leaders are looking to truly become an opportunity for, again, those scientists, researchers, and academics in the field of environmental health and safety to give them the opportunity to define their science. And what does that mean, define their science? To advance ACGIH is looking to advance the careers of professionals working in the occupational, environmental, industrial hygiene, and safety communities through engagement practices, opportunity to professionally educate and develop themselves through CM maintenance points, as well as our signature publications, which are known throughout the world, to be, quite frankly, the gold standard of this type of industry data. Interesting. Interesting. And, and it's, is that a little bit of a change from the past uh, mission, I guess? Yes and no. We've always felt internally, when I say we, the members that are strong with us, the leadership that have been with us, that we've had these opportunities. We're looking to engage and create a dialogue better with members as well as what we consider to be customers or constituents to better clarify all of the virtues of membership and or engagement. So I mentioned, for example, the opportunity to take a part in the role of the TLV development. You can serve on a committee, you could be a consultant, but you can also add comments. There's comment periods to the process of these significantly important TLVs on chemical substances or BEIs or physical agents. That's important. There's a way to engage as well as, as I mentioned, the, the CM points. That scenario to capture all of your CM points as a member of ACGIH, you, you all have them. Everyone in this industry needs to capture those points. Those certification maintenance points are critical. They can all be captured through engagement with ACGIH, as well as the annual TLV book, the bioaerosols book that we're going to get into hopefully a little bit later, the industrial ventilation book that's updated every three years, as well as countless other important documents and publications that now not just being available hardcover book just last fall were introduced in an encrypted, safe, digital format. So that's, again, part of this future opportunity that we're looking to add value to within the industry. You know, the, 
I think the the word that oftentimes throws people off, and me and even me, is governmental. Um, why, why is that word in there? You know, maybe historically speaking, and and I don't think people have to be part of government to be a member of ACGIH. But you can explain for listeners if you would. Sure, they do not. And I say a clunky name. If you look at it. At, at the, core of each word. We're not American. We're international. We're not necessarily a conference. That's a term largely used at the turn of the last century. Uh, we're more of a professional society. Uh, government, that used to be a, a, a mandate within our membership. That's no longer. Now, to be a member, a professional needs to currently spend greater than 50% of his or her employment in the field of occupational and environmental health and safety. So therefore, that takes out the IH element of it, of course, we have components that are extremely relevant to the world of industrial hygienists. However, that's not a critical, that's, that's not a part within our bylaws that requires someone to not only engage, but certainly to join the organization as a true active voting member. Interesting. Okay. And Phil, let's, let's jump over to you for a minute. I'm not, I want to stick with the ACGIH for a moment, but um, I'm just curious. You you worked in government before, and then um, you met up with Frank. At, I, I don't know whether it was an ACGIH conference or a different conference and, and started working with, uh, with ACGIH. Had you been a member prior to um, your new role here? Yes, I was. Um, it, it's almost ironic that I was a government employee at the same time as being a member, but... Um, I, I was a uh, I was at AIHCE, and, and that's where Frank and I met up. Oh, the AIHA conference then. Okay. Does, does ACGIH have a conference? Uh, we're actually co-sponsors of that that very conference. Uh, if you if you go, you know we have a presence on the stage. Um, we're there in full force. Uh, you can see us on the expo floor. You'll see my smiling face there this year. Um, it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of the all-encompassing conference that, that we both work together on. I see. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I really only have been there a couple times and at the periphery, so I really wasn't that aware of it. I'm glad I asked the question. Um, let's go back to Frank for just a minute. How did ACGIH start, and, and why did it start? Sure, sure. It has a rich history. We're talking about the mid-1930s, ultimately incorporated in 1938, so we're 82 years old, and it really was trying to identify a, un, an unbiased, peer-reviewed process for data collection, particularly on, the again, the chemical sciences, uh, substances, rather, uh, biological uh, exposure indices, as well as physical agents. This was this opportunity to gather the data in a very rich format for community and collaboration and scientists gathering together. And that really is, maintains the hallmark of who we are now. We've had those particular committees, if you will, BEI, physical agents, chem subs. We also have an industrial ventilation committee and reestablished just last year at the help of a, a dear friend of this program, Don Weeks, who is our board of director liaison to our bio aerosols committee that was dormant for 15 long years it's now back and extremely active but those types of committees that were uh, the, uh, the hallmark of ACGIH back for uh, 80 some years ago remain throughout the lifeblood and the core competencies of this organization today 
And let me clarify on the membership. So you you have to be 50% in the field. I mean, if is a, being a researcher in the field or uh, maybe we can clarify because I know Cliff had a follow-up on that. Sure. It's it, Our bylaws explicitly state a professional who currently spends greater than 50% of his or her employment in the field of occupational and environmental health and safety. That's for a voting member. You could also has retired from employment that involved greater than 50% of his or her time in the field, as well as a full-time student officially matriculated in an undergraduate or graduate program in environmental health, occupational health, and safety or related discipline. Those are the, uh, the exact language from the, from the bylaws for our voting members. And I suppose some of that could be subjective, but the terms field or professional or, um, you know, occupational, environmental health, health and safety is rather all-encompassing. And we, and we like that because we do feel that many, if not most, of our benefits and services can advance the careers of professionals involved within this field of science. I see. Cliff, I think you had a question. Go ahead, Phil. No, no, to follow up on Frank's point there, you know, if you look at the, the volunteers on our committees, it, it's not a group of industrial hygienists per se. It's, it's toxicologists. It's, it's um, medical doctors. We have veterinary medical doctors on there. There, there are a lot of different professions that all play a role in, in what we do and how occupational health and safety expand. I see. Cliff? I know you had a question on, on whether it would be for restoration people an appropriate kind of uh, thing, but maybe you want to follow up on that. Well, yeah, I think the question is, I guess it depends how you classify what people do. Uh, you know, decontamination of environments that are contaminated uh, does have impact on health, does have impact on environments. And it would seem to me that uh, what those people do most likely would qualify. And, you know, perhaps if there was some outreach both ways, uh, you know, uh, your organization would benefit. And I think you could get some new members as well. Agreed. That's, I mentioned a new hire to our staff here when uh, we start before the show started. And, um, we actually are, have identified the director of membership and communications uh, to start with us next, this coming Monday. February 3rd, and that's your point, Cliff. Uh, this outreach field is so important because there are just that many professionals around the world engaged in this type of life-saving, life-improvement, worker safety opportunity around the world. Mm -hmm. well, let's, let's say some restoration folks decided, hey, I want to give ACGIH a shot and uh, see what kind of science and education programs they have that would, you know, help me further my career. Phil, can you comment on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, taking into account the fact that there are so many elements to restoration work, um, we, we cover a variety of topics. So, you know, there's, there's relevant guides to help them with uh, mold remediation. Uh, something I'm particularly excited about is the bioaerosols group getting back to work. Um, whenever they come out with their first BDAC and it's printed in the TLV book, that's, that's going to change the world. Whenever they come out with what? No, I, I didn't hear that. No, I'm sorry. Their first uh, BDAC, their first TLV for a bioaerosol. Okay. What's a BDAC? I want to make biological. Uh, 
biologically derived airborne contaminant. There you go. All right. I'll get the acronym police on you here, Phil. <laughs> All right. Very interesting. Now, do they, do you have um, any like educational programs either online or, or, you know, courses that people can attend or is it all related around the, the bioaerosols book and the TLVs and some of the other products you have? Oh no, we have we have a wide variety. Um, we actually have a whole array of webinars coming up this year. Um, the first one that's going to be coming up here, and or I'm sorry, the first one that's coming up is actually on the TLV book. But then we have one in March that's coming up that's um, about computational fluid dynamics and industrial ventilation. Um, towards the end of the year, we have one on cold stress. Uh, so, and if you look back into our archive. Uh, webinars, webinars. There's, there's a number of topics that are covered there as well, including a number of IAQ issues. I see. Okay, good, good to hear. Cliff, did you have anything you wanted to add with respect to our restoration friends there? Um, no, I think we'll wait till the new communication person gets in, and we'll take it from there. Okay, let's, let's move on a little bit to um, the TLV. Just Let's start with the basics. Um, either Frank or Phil, whoever's better to uh, answer this. The, the TLVs or threshold limit values, first of all, how do they relate to permissible exposure limits and, and how often are they revised? Yeah, so I'll hop on this one. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to divorce the two. Many of the current TLs were actually born from the work of ACGIH volunteers. Uh, you know, OSHA adopted the 1971 TLVs almost verbatim. Um, obviously, the PL is the law and you have to follow it, but the TLV is based solely on the science of risk assessment. So, you know, lots changed since 1971. Risk assessment, occupational health research has been growing and learning new things the PLs largely got stuck there. So for that reason, the most progressive forward thinking OELs that you can find are usually ours. Um, you know, our volunteers work diligently to provide occupational limits that, you know, someone can be exposed to day after day without health effects. And by OSHA's own admission, that's not what the PEL is. If you go to court, and someone's claiming an exposure that, you know, caused some kind of medical issue. Are, are the TLVs going to hold up as, as well as a PEL if you're trying to show that, you know, I wasn't exposed above the PEL, but the TLVs are more current and more commonly revised. Um, and, and I do think I was exposed somewhere around the TLV. Does that, does that hold up well? I'm not a lawyer. I don't. I didn't even stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Gotcha. So, so I'll start off with that. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, we we do have a very vigorous process. Um, I was just talking about it the other day, and um, it, you know, people are surprised by how much goes into that. Uh, it's you know, first if it's if it's a chemical substance, first it goes through a subcommittee. The subcommittee largely has to almost unanimously agree on that the TLV is correct that they're going to propose, that all of the studies that go into it are, are the most robust that they can use. Uh, then that goes to the full chemical substance committee where 30 people have that same debate. Um, they, they have to vote to send that up to the board. 
the board votes that they agree with the committee. And that's where we get an NIC. It's not even a TLV yet. So we open it up to the world and ask for comments if there's better research out there or something that we missed. Uh, we want to hear about it. We, we bring that in and use that to go back, reevaluate it. And if we believe that the science that we pick, our volunteers used, is the most robust, is the best evidence we can get, the committee votes on it again, votes to send it back to the board. And the board finally then agrees that all the due diligence has been done and it can move forward as a TLV. So it's a very vigorous process. Now, do the TLVs get uh, reviewed and revised on a regular schedule or does it occur when new information comes in or how does that work? Uh, a hybrid, actually. It can come from, we, we welcome public comments on that. Anything that's on the understudy list, someone can send us information on. Uh, if, if someone believes something should go understudy, by all means, reach out to us. My email is science at acgih.org. Send me that information. Uh, beyond that, we have a selection committee whenever it comes to chemical substances. And they actually pick what's going to move forward at the request of the world, committee members, uh, you know, anywhere. Anywhere we can get that information, we should we take it into account. Okay. All right. And, Frank, did you want to add anything there? No, other than to say uh, to Phil's point about the, the legalese, it's, it's our understanding that a number of our, uh, what we consider volunteer leaders, if you will, have served and continue to serve as expert witnesses. And again, it's our understanding that in some of those situations, they will draw upon the TLVs. Now, does that make it something to your uh, question about an absolute? I, I don't believe it does, but I think it does. Those TLVs, those BEIs, they carry significant weight. And in our opinion, and the opinion for 82 plus years of our uh, growth and leadership and, and, and opportunities through the leading scientists around the world, they should carry that type of weight. How big? Um, how big is your membership, Frank? I'm just curious. Are you a couple thousand? A thousand? thousand. That's right. Couple, couple thousand right now. And again, with ambition to uh, grow that. But I can tell you, those that have been that are members of ours have been members for a long time. If we're able to secure someone for a year, gosh, two years, they don't leave for 15, 20, 30 years. It's astounding to me the longevity that has been achieved through the membership base here. We're just looking to identify that next generation, those millennials, scientists, those new investigators, those um, uh, Gen Xers, if you will, to not only in, uh, you know, identify why they should participate, but to engage. We want to look to, and we are now starting our media channels through our enhanced communication systems, through what we hope to be a better website, but an updated website here, so, uh, a better way to dialogue to listen as much as we get out information. That I think is critically important in this nonprofit world that we're looking to advance. And we've got, uh, us, again, some strategic planning uh, that will occur later this year that will touch on many of those themes. You know, we, we hear a lot about the TLVs. I don't hear as much about the, the BEIs. What is it? Biological exposure indices, maybe. I think, I, I hope I got that right. Um, yeah, right, can, right. Can one of you talk a little bit more about the BEIs, because I think a lot of our listeners work more often with, you know, mold-related issues and indoor uh, indoor air quality and also uh, water damage restoration where they're dealing with sewage and biological organisms. And I'm wondering if you can maybe tell listeners a little bit about the BEIs. 
Good question. I'll throw this one back to my expert. <laughs> yeah, so the, the BEIs are actually based off of our chemical substances, uh, TLVs. Um, what they are is it's actually so if there is a biological indicator that can be used that that's, might be more of a holistic view. Uh, so, for example, if, if you measure how much, how much uh, you know, of a particular chemical you're breathing in on the IH side, you look at that, just look at how much is in the air, but if there's a skin notation or there's significant amount that's ingested, you know, I've seen it out there in the field, somebody drinking coffee right in their workplace, and you can see the sheen of chemical over the top of it. Um, the BEI takes it one step further and actually looks for you know, is there some kind of a tracker in urine, blood, uh, exhaled air that can look at the overall picture and the body burden that someone is, is suffering? I got you. Okay, so it's more biological, our own biology, not necessarily looking at biological exposures? Yes, sir. Okay, and I is there any? Go ahead. Um, you know, w there's there's been a lot of changes in the past couple of years. The BDAC is one that I'm looking forward to coming up. The the biological, you know, drives air contaminants and their limits. But a big one that's that's caused quite a splash is the new surface limits. Um, you know, it, take it one step further. Be proactive. Look at all right. If it's on the if it's on your work surface, if you're touching it. What, what are we going to do to protect you beyond just looking at how much you're inhaling or looking at what you've been exposed to already? You know, Phil, I want to go through a field discussion for a moment. Uh, I've got a friend. He works in a building, let's say, that uh, it has a pool in it, a swimming pool. And he's concerned that, um, you know, he smells the, the chlorine smell quite often, and he's wondering if, if that's bad for him. And they, they seem to have a little trouble breathing in there from time to time. I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through how someone like you that worked in the field w would handle that and how maybe some of the TLVs might tie into the work you're doing. Yeah, so the first thing is to go back, look at their HASCOM program, see what they have in place already, uh, and then compare that directly to the TLVs. Um, in this case, you know, there's a very strong uh, indication that it's probably chlorine. Uh, people usually make that, that um, connection in their mind. They smell chlorine. Now they have irritation. Those two go hand in hand. But you can go back, look at the documentation, read in there, you know, how did we get to our TLV? Why, why is it picked? What are the physiological uh changes that can happen being exposed at the TLV, uh, above the TLV rather, um, and, and that helps you make a good risk assessment decision. Um, another thing that you know, ties into the IAQ issue with that is keep a log of when these things happen. Uh, if, if you see that it's happening Monday, well, maybe they put the chemical in on Sunday and you should think about changing when you put that in. Is it an hour afterwards? Is it two hours after? Um, there, there's a lot of things you can do to, to hopefully prevent that from, from turning into a serious issue. Okay. And now would the, if I looked at some of the background information, would I find the best way to sample for that particular exposure? Um, so a part, a part, no part of our process is actually suggesting what someone uses as an analytical method. Um, okay. We don't do that just because, you know, 
that's up to the professional in the field. If they have a certain situation where a specific analytical method would work better, we want them to use that uh, and then draw the conclusion back to RTLV. Okay, very good. Um, I think we're getting kind of close to halftime. But before we before we break, Frank, I want to come back and talk a little bit more about the organization. And then for the second half, I'd like to talk more about the, the TLBs and, the, and particularly the bioaerosols book. But I'm just curious, we've been talking about it. What, what kind of uh, investment am I looking at to become a member of ACGIH? Excellent question. So currently it's a individual professional membership, $205 for a year. And with that, again, you have opportunity to receive a number of complimentary uh, um, scenarios, where, whether it's the annual TLB book, BEI book, whether it's uh, downloads of documentation, the journal. We have our own in conjunction with AIHA, the Journal of Occupational Environmental Hygiene. Through that comes an at-home self-study continuing education program to earn 12 contact hours of CM credits, but it's $205 for a membership. And beyond that, we have these webinars that we're touching on. And at some point, perhaps we can, we can dig a little deeper into that. Or to Cliff's point, we're going to uh, look to communicate what exactly those webinars are throughout this year. But where in the past, we and other like-minded associations, uh, nonprofit organizations would charge 250 or more for a, a webinar. We decided that just doesn't make sense for our particular constituency. We're ch charging $99. Per webinar, for every webinar, whether it's 1.2, two contact hours, doesn't matter. Those are the types of investment options that we're looking at for professional individuals. For an organization that's in this world of environmental health and safety, 605, I'm sorry, $650 for an organization membership, which earns you know, 10 times the, the amount of benefits that an individual would, as well as student memberships for $30 or retiree uh, memberships for $50. Those are the investment opportunities that we look at to participate currently with ACGIH. All right. Well, thank you. Guys, I'm, I'm getting some people saying there's a reverb, but I'm not, I'm not hearing it. John, maybe uh, we can talk while we're, we're on our halftime here. We're going to stop and thank our sponsors for halftime. We'll be back in 90 seconds with the second half of our interview with the ACGIH Executive Director and their Director of Science and Education. We've got uh, Frank Mortal and Phil Rosher. We'll be right back. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus Engineers and Manufacturers, feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. 
association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. I, I forgot to look for it, but I've got my little uh, TLV book here somewhere. Also, this one's always right here, my bioaerosols book. So let's talk a little bit about bioaerosols, gentlemen. What's going on with the bioaerosols committee? What can we look forward to? This book came out in 1999, I believe. Sure did. That's a long, long time ago. And like I said earlier, we have reestablished what we consider to be uh, just a uh, a tremendous group of individuals looking to uh, advance the bioaerosol community for, on behalf of ACGH, led by some folks that I think this program is familiar with. Sherry Marsham is the chair of our bioaerosols committee. Jack Springston, recent guest uh, for IQ Radio, was yeah. vice chair. And Don Weeks on our board of directors is what we consider our board liaison. They join Al Condello, John Krause, Steve Larson, Bud Offerman, Paul Evans and uh, Jim Kornberg as members of our bioaerosols committee currently, although that could change, not uh, uh, with any subtractions, but hopefully with some additions here as we get the word out for the progress of this committee. That group is looking currently to update the bioaerosols book, and we know how important that can be and, and, and needs to be uh, for professionals in this world. Is that going to happen later this year, next year? Probably not. At this point, we're looking at either late 21 or more than likely 2022 for a fully comprehensive update to the bioaerosols book. And won't that be a pleasure for uh, folks in the uh, environmental health and safety world? Absolutely. I, I mean, the mold area gets revisions quite frequently. Like the AI, we have a show next week with uh, Dr. J. David Miller. The Green Book has been revised. That's coming back out. I know you work pretty closely with AIHA, um, but I don't know that if people realize that the bioaerosols book is a much broader look at biological organisms. It's not just mold-centric. And a lot of that stuff, I, I agree with you, Frank, has not been really uh, updated, certainly not by the bioaerosols book. But, I mean, in general, we don't, we don't have one place where we can go to to look for information on, you know, dust mites and all the other types of bioaerosols that people run into during this type, doing this type of work. Um, Phil, are you involved in that project too? Uh, so that's, that's actually led by our volunteers. Um, you know, I, I'm not a world expert on biological uh, air contaminants. I, you know, I've dabbled in it enough to be awed at the absolute ingenious of all of our volunteers. So, um, I, I'm very close with that project, but I can't say I'm taking the lead on it. That, that's our volunteers. Okay. And Frank, I know um, there's some crossover between the, the folks that worked on the Green Book and the, and the folks that are working, I think, on your, your bioaerosols book. Did, did ACGIH have any formal role in, in working with uh, AIHA on, on revising that Green Book? I wouldn't say we had a formal role, but I'll take it another step further. So where we now have established this bioaerosol bio committee. It went live, I think their first meeting was in September of last year. They've been so active. Typically, 
committees meet two, maybe three times a year. This group is meeting every month. They're not in person. They're going to meet for the first time in person next, I'm sorry, in March. But they're meeting every month from an hour and a half to two hours conference call. And one of the most recent, I'm talking within the last 10 days, accomplishments is a collaborative opportunity presented to and embraced by AIHA leadership. My counterpart there, who I've had a, a tremendously positive working relationship with, Larry Sloan, their elected chair, Kathy Murphy, and my elected chair, uh, Mary Lopez, along with the leadership on this bioaerosols team of this committee of ours, are looking to engage and collaborate on not just our bioaerosols book, but how we can create more formality into the green book process and perhaps uh, identify some authors and create some transparent uh, acknowledgement of this type of formal uh, collaboration. We're very, very proud of this. This is something I came into the industry hoping with her, I'm sure it's your secret, that there have been some rough edges, if you will, between ACGIH and AIHA over the last many years, many decades, if you will. And we're looking to overcome that in a very uh, constructive way. And, and just, again, recently, uh, this tangible evidence of collaboration and the opportunity to work better together. Why? To benefit the end user professional in this industry, in this world of, in, in this case, biologically derived airborne contaminants, I think is uh, tremendously, tremendously important and impactful. Interesting. Now, I'm curious as far as um, ACGIH and, and the bioaerosols book, Where have you kind of had... Um, an evaluation of areas that kind of need the most work or is that stuff that's going on right now with the committee? It's literally going on right now with the committee. They're taking a broad view. Again, they started these discussions, these formal committee discussions in September. Uh, I believe they've had five meetings uh, since then, which is very, very ambitious uh, for, for volunteers. You know how just, just getting schedules set up can be a, a rather arduous task, but nevertheless, they are meeting uh, frequently with regularity. I give a lot of credit to Sherry Marsham, Jack Springston, uh, their leadership has been impeccable. But Phil, perhaps you can touch on a little bit more of some of the meat of what they're talking about. But to, to your point, Joe, that they're looking at everything, everything within the bioaerosols book, a lot of that overlap between the green book and what our very comprehensive bioaerosols book is looking to not only touch on, but improve upon. Phil, where else do you think that there might be some meat on the bone? Um, another thing. So it, whenever everybody gets their 2020 in, uh, TLV book, uh, you know, they've, they've revamped the whole beginning of that, which, you know, lays the foundation for a lot of change to come. Uh, and I hopefully invites individuals to participate in the process and, and send us their, their feedback for the understudy or, you know, what, where they think it should go. You know, back when this first came out and, and Frank, and I know you're very new, so you may not be that familiar with it, but there was, it seemed like the bioaerosols book, if I remember correctly, caused a little bit of a, I don't know, a little bit of consternation, let's say, um, for for people within the industry. Like there was some, if I recall correctly, there might have been some concerns about like disinfection and things like that. Is, is that all over with? Does ACGIH ever get, you know, complaints about stuff that's in the bioaerosols book other than saying revise it? I, the, the major theme, of course, is revised. 1999 was a long time ago. We need uh, some mm -hmm. updates. In terms of some of those specific complaints, I personally haven't come across those, but I'm, I'm aware that uh, they, they've been out there. 
the overall theme and something that's been impressed upon me, not just from day one, but back when, you know, I, I was getting interviewed for this terrific position. I was interviewing the search committee as much as they were interviewing me. And one of the themes, again, that was so uh, not just important, but impressed upon me was process. Everything that goes on within ACGIH is done at the highest level of transparent and honest process. And so when we talk about if there are complaints, if there are ways to update, we encourage that feedback. We're not trying to deny it. We're encouraging any of that information that we then can use, both from a volunteer standpoint and a staff execution standpoint, to better not only our publications, but the way that these contributions are made to capture this data and disseminate it in a very succinct way that can be useful in the hands of professionals as they look to advance their careers in this industry. You know, I, I got a text from a, a listener saying that they're impressed and appreciate the new communication activities. And that leads me to a question. You're trying to bring in a younger generation here. I, I, the, the industrial hygiene and safety world is, you know, really a lot of us are getting older. Uh, I certainly am ready for some retirement time myself here eventually. But uh, what type of things, how is it different to try and uh, recruit new, younger members versus the old school folks? A lot of it, it's a great question. A lot of it, and these are basic nonprofit best practices that I'm bringing to the table here at ACGIH, and, and, and I'm not trying to invent anything I'm looking to improve. I'm kind of like Larry David in that scenario. I'm, I'm looking to polish things, not necessarily create new. And it's the digital. It's the opportunity to become a virtual part of the overall cog in, within the machine here. It's having the ability where it's so challenging, and it's not like necessarily the old days, to jump on a plane and fly to Cincinnati, fly to Chicago, get to Dallas, New York, West Coast. It needs to be done on a digital level, an electronic means of communication. We're looking to not only heighten those mechanisms with our data analytics and taking a hard look at metrics and how those KPIs can all play a part in what we do from a staff standpoint, but from the volunteers, the Gen Xers, the millennials, and so on, how can they contribute virtually? We have a group, a workforce, if you will, a work group that is developing and looking how to develop a TLV app. Wouldn't that be a game changer? If you could get all of the TLVs, the BEIs, calculations, contributions, collaboration with industry peers, all on your phone. That's really, really, that's a big part of the next step. Imagine if I could say, hey, Alexa, hey, Siri, what's the TLV for XYZ? What's the TLV for beryllium or for mercury, what have you? That's the next phase for ACGIH that we are working every day, literally on, to be able to communicate at a much higher level and why again, to benefit that end user in the field. Absolutely. Uh, what about, do you, are you guys on Twitter and all that Instagram? Or, uh, what? We certainly are. We have our opportunities on all four of the major platforms that we consider relevant. And then on Profit World, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And we're posting daily. And with the new hire here coming out next week, we'll uh, not only increase, but the content, the impact of the content. We're trying to get away from how can we communicate something that will dip into the pocket or the wallet of a member or constituents? We want to find campaigns and stories and reasons, again, to not just listen and hear about what ACGH has to offer. We want to create this dialogue. We're looking to do that now. We've made strides. We've made improvements. But this is a big year. 2020 is a big year for ACGIH to have two 
long weekends for 80 to 100 people gathering together and our core leadership, our board of directors, our committee chairs, and our committee vice chairs meeting on heavy strategic planning thought and directives for our next three to five years. That's a big deal. And we're excited about it. And we think we've got the right people in place to make some uh, effective, positive change. How, how is the organization financially? Are you solid? Very solid. I tell you, we've had now uh, three years straight of, of healthy uh, opportunities in our financial uh, to build up our, our reserves. We're not looking to bank every dollar. We're looking to turn these dollars into new programming. Again, that's how we're able to offer complementary, if you will, uh, at-home self-study, 12 standpoints a year through our action level in, in the, the Journal of Occupation and Environmental Health. That's how we're able to offer 10 webinars at $99 a pop. That's how we're able to offer these signature publications that are so critical to the field, as well as these enhanced communication models, and most importantly, beef up our staff. We were too thin. To have eight, nine, maybe 10 staff members is not enough to execute the vision of a very ambitious leadership. That's the, the future of ACGIH. And, uh, and the, the, it, it's strong currently, but we need more participants. Members, yes, we need more people to engage with us, member or not identify how the virtues of member benefit benefits can help them every day in their, in their occupation. You know, what, what other publications do you have that would be of interest to like the indoor air quality people? I mean, you've mentioned a few already, but let's kind of summarize that again, if you would. Sure. And Phil, help me if I miss any here, but for the, I'll, I'll list off our core signature publications. Of course, the TLVs and VEIs book. We have a guide to occupational exposure values. The industrial ventilation book for design as well as for operation and maintenance, that's the gold standard on industrial ventilation. That's updated every three years. We have an air sampling instruments book, an air sampling technologies book, the bioaerosols book, assessment and control. We've talked about that at length today. That is in the process of being updated. And won't that be effective, not only in a hard copy book like you've got in the shelf there, Joe, but in the palm of your hand or at your tablet or at your uh, PC. All right. Let's, let's jump over to Frank. Final thoughts or questions? Or well, the final is the, the long, arduous task it took to come up with three words last year. And we're very proud of these three words. Define for science. Imagine if you're someone that's dedicated to a career, being a researcher, a scientist, or someone in the academic field of environmental health and safety, and there was an organization doesn't even cost, it's $17 a month, 200 bucks a year. Right? Really, when you look at it at, at the brass tax, to have an organization, have a resource. If you're involved with bioaerosols, biological exposure industry, industrial ventilation, physical agents, or any of the following chemical substances, chemical selection, dust and inorganics, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, compounds, ACGH provides an opportunity to define what it is that you're doing in the world professionally. What a cool, what a really great resource to have at your disposal and to make a difference in the future of what we as human beings on planet Earth breathe and hear and see. That's who ACGH is going forward today and hopefully into a very strong, prosperous future. Well, Frank and Phil, thank you, gentlemen. That's been it's been very it's been very nice to meet both of you. I I, I really appreciate that. And uh, you're over in Cincinnati. You're not far from us. Cliffs in Pittsburgh. I'm up in Central City, Pennsylvania. We have a little thing called the Healthy Building Summit in October. We just set the dates. It'll be October 
uh, 12 through 14 this year at Seven Springs Resort. You guys may be familiar with that. It's a little, we call it practice to research, where our, our practitioner <laughs> crowd comes to tell our research crowd, you know, here's what we need from you guys, and uh, it might be a good fit for ACGIH. So we'll keep you, uh, keep you posted on that. And uh, no, as hopefully I said, as things... No, as I said, as I said to Don Weeks recently, you know, I'd like to talk about what it would take for us to become a sponsor of this great program. I've enjoyed, we'll talk about a learning curve for Frank. In the last year, I've listened to countless archive programs. So let's talk about what we can do to get heavier involved. We would very much appreciate that, gentlemen. And we appreciate both of you joining us today on IAQ Radio. Frank Mortal and Phil Rauscher from ACGIH. I want to thank my engineer, John, you pulled it off at the controls. Even with the flu, he can do it. These millennials, they're just something else, buddy. Thank you, John. My, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick, and our growing group of loyal listeners. Uh, gentlemen, thanks again for joining us. We'll be back. Oh, next Friday, we've got uh, J. David Miller. We're going to go over some revisions to the AIHA Green Book, so that'll be another great show. We'll see you all back here next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.